are in the month of Elul, uh, the period that uh, is just before the High Holy Days, that uh, I talked about um, uh, before, that it is a preparation time as we come up to Yom Kippur. And Christianity, for the most part, has moved most of the meaning of that to the spring with the with Holy Week, the Ascension, and Pentecost. And there is a fulfillment there. I don't want to discount that. It's the heart of the gospel. But there is a additional fulfillment because the high priest has gone into heaven and he will return. And when he returns, the rest of Yom Kippur will be fulfilled. And so not everything has been fulfilled. And uh, the Lord said that not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the earth, uh, shall pass from the Torah until it's all fulfilled. And as long as heaven and earth are in place, this present creation, uh, not one Jot or tittle shall pass from it. So the scriptures are uh, in full force for us to struggle towards obedience and faith. Faith and obedience, probably the the better approach. And uh, what we do as we go through the holy days and as we're moving into this, is we begin to look at what that second part of Yom Kippur is about the judgment and the establishment of the kingdom and all of the things that happen at what we traditionally associate with the second coming. Now, I began uh, this series kind of in the context of explaining that and talking about our need for endurance based on the book of Hebrews. This, the book of Hebrews is really the book for this time period. Um, And then, of course, last week we got a report of things going on in the Middle East uh, that also show the difficulties of the struggling of of the birth pangs awaiting the kingdom uh, to come. I want to continue somewhat in that uh, vein today and and next week uh, as we begin to go through the Sabbaths of Elul moving towards Yom Kippur. So I want to talk about reinforcing community, a recommitment to community. Uh, I've talked about this before, and I've talked about the future and the need for community as we move towards uncertain times. But it's really important to keep in mind that the future is uncertain. The only thing that really is certain is that the future is uncertain. Uh, you, You don't have to live very long, but... If you've lived as long as I have, you have a real sense that you just start, stop trying to figure out what's going to happen down the road. Because you prepare for it and something else happens. And then you think you've got a better handle on it and you prepare for it and something else happens. Something that you never really thought of. Now, I'm not talking about general preparation. But I'm talking about getting overly specific in what's going to happen. You simply don't know that. Um, So, what we do know from the history of Israel and the prophet's message to them, and from them, by extension to us, not as a replacement, but as an expansion of the kingdom of God, we know that there are three kinds of futures 
that you and I are potentially uh, facing. Uh, Again, not in detailed specifics, but in general patterns. And the first one is that we will move in the direction of suffering the temptation of the world and the flesh and the devil to assimilate and leave our profession of faith. That's always a struggle. It's a greater struggle, I believe, when things are going good. When things are going good, who needs God? Right? And then when things are going bad, we at least need to be angry at God. Right? So, so, but when things are going good, and when things are going bad, the thought of, let's just give up on this idea of God and obedience and find our own way, assimilate into the world and do it the world's way, it seems to make more sense. So that falling away from God is one of the futures that potentially we have. Hopefully, we're going to avoid that one. Okay. Second one is that we may find ourselves in times of moderate or severe persecution. The persecution of Israel comes in waves. They have times where there's relative, they have kind of mild persecution and then it goes moderate and then severe and then they have a period where it's not so bad or in various geographies around the world where that happens. God's people, those who live righteous in the world, will suffer. They suffer persecution and that persecution uh, is one of the things that we are likely to face uh, in, in the future. The third one, and this is the one that's got a frenzy going on right now, is the, uh, that we will find ourselves at the end of the age and suffer the full and worst falling away, assimilation, and persecution of all history. Jesus said there will be tribulation as there never has been since nor ever will be. When you think of world history, and I just... I've been reading some books on world history again and the cruelty and inhumanity and just massive slaughter that, that, that is humankind from Cain to the present is uh, almost puts you in despair. Um, so, one of three possible futures. Suffering an assimilation temptation, finding ourselves in a present wave of persecution, or finding ourselves at the end of the age where the full struggle of assimilation and uh, persecution is there. Now, because of the blood moon uh, phenomenon that's going on, that happened both at Passover and will happen again at Yom Kippur and Tabernacles kind of time frame, um, There are a lot of people predicting the end of the world, September of 2015. So let me tell you something that I'm pretty certain of. It ain't going to happen, 2015. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm a brilliant guy. I'm saying that because I'm pretty familiar with the scriptures. And uh, the blood moon is not the interpretation of Joel that's being used in the context of the rest of Scripture. It's being pulled out, isolated, and by the superstitious and the gullible, and they're writing books like crazy, and the the folk religious people are are buying into it and 
and it's just kind of crazy. Now, I, I remember this happening in the 80s. I remember it happening in the 60s. Uh, uh, it will happen again. Uh, one of these times, they'll be right, but not because they're right, but because we'll finally be at the end. I, I suspect that's not the case. But each of these pushes will have echoes of the Antichrist as Nebuchadnezzar, as Hitler. That notion of a world-dominating power, uh, the false prophet and the beast who will will bring about uh, great suffering among God's people. Um, And that, that goes back to... Uh, the book of Esther. That go, I mean, these patterns are there. We will suffer those patterns. We will see those patterns. But the end is not yet. So each of these uh, approaches, the, the danger of assimilation, the danger of persecution, and the greatest of assimilation and persecution at the end of time, are discussed in the scriptures. And uh, I want to talk about what is common in dealing with all three, because I think that will help us. It gives us that kind of foundational framework. If you're going to learn the commandments, you should learn the big three first, right? Love God, love your neighbor, love one another. Then you can go into the 10, then you can go into the 600, uh, you know, and then you can go into the 115, one another. You can do that. But you don't start with the micro and go to the macro. You get the big picture in place, get the direction set, and then, and then work out the details. So I want to do that in this idea of as we're facing the future, an uncertain future, but has these strains in it, uh, how, do we, how do we address and what do we need to do as a disciple center um, at this time when we're thinking about it because of the high holy days, which are a picture, a shadow of the things to come. How do we, in a sense, get ourselves ready? In a sense, this is a drill. When I was a kid... They had, well, I guess they still have them. You had uh, fire drills, and we had nuclear attack drills where we put our heads under our desks. <laughs> As if that was going to help anything. Uh, you know, uh, they now tell kids you should have a way to get out of your uh, house when we go on a cruise. You do a muster, and they put on the, 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 the life jackets and tell you you're going to come here uh, if, if the boat starts to sink. Nobody's going to remember that because they're going to panic. But you do a drill. And for years when we did Yom Terah, uh, I would call it the, uh, when, when I was uh, uh, thinking in terms of pre-tribulation rapture, which I don't think in terms of anymore. It's a, this is the uh, uh, early warning system of the, uh, you know, of the resurrection. You know, had it been the real shofar, you know, we'd be gone now. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, but, but, I want us to think of this as a way of focusing on things so that we understand them and we can read the signs and the times uh, as they come. So, what, what is common to all three of these is the need for endurance, which I discussed uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the second thing is that we are encouraged by the Scriptures toward a willingness to suffer for the name of Jesus. Now that's easy to say, not easy to do. Okay, uh, I used to say I can, in, uh, you know, I, I can resist anything but temptation. 
uh, in the same way uh, I, can, I can suffer anything but actual suffering, right? <laughs> you know, I'm ready. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Then it comes, oh, that's too hard, right? We all have a little bit of that in us. And particularly we in the West where suffering for religion is almost unknown to us. Uh, it's not completely unknown, but it's, it's, it's so minuscule compared to what's happened in the rest of the world uh, as to not be really worth addressing. So this willingness to suffer for the sake of the Lord is an important uh, one. I'm not going to talk about that today. The third one is that we are to uh, uh, see the necessity of community. Unity and brotherly love, which is also found in the book of Hebrews. And that's the one that I want to focus on in more detail, while the other ones you'll see are there. So I'd like you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 23. This is uh, near uh, the section that we, um, we have read before. In verse 23 of chapter 10 of Hebrews, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate, provoke one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I talked about that. As we see the day of judgment, the, the return of the Lord coming as the signs begin to look more and more uh, like their, the pattern of the end time. Uh, we are to uh, encourage ourselves to be together. We are to provoke one another unto love and good work. And we are to hold our confession of hope uh, to the end without wavering. Now, if you continue reading here, it says... Uh, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and a fury of the fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled under the foot, underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he has been sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? These are those who fall away. These are those who walk away. These are those who assimilate into the world uh, because it's just too hard or... I, I, I want to do the world's thing. They're either drawn into the world or the persecution pushes them out. This assimilation process. And what he says in this context is, uh, you know the one who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. We always, we want the judgment on the unbeliever. We don't want the judgment on us. But the judgment begins at the house of God. It is a terrible thing to fall in the hands of the living God. The idea here is that as tough as life may be, 
and as pleasant as the world may seem, the judgment of God, the fear of God, ought to keep us from heading into assimilation. It is, the, it is taking God casually that makes us look for other ways. So that assimilation thing is going to be a struggle that's going to be harder and harder because it will either draw us in the sense of looking like a better way or they will persecute us for living different and it will be easier to just succumb and go their way. Second uh, passage here, verse 32, is about that suffering. Remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. You see the community there? The writer here says some of you suffered directly because of your profession of faith. But that's only part of the suffering. The body suffers. If one member suffers, we all suffer. You were, he says it here, um, that you were, I want to get the, the right word and I'm having trouble with my glasses. Partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. That was talked about last week. In some sense, how do we share with those who are suffering for the name of the Lord when we're not suffering for the name of the Lord? Well, we can support them in prayer. We can support them financially. We can support those who are close to them, taking care of them. We have a responsibility to see that it is the body of Christ. The body of Christ doesn't end at the congregational line. It doesn't end at the state line. It doesn't end at the country line. It's, it's the tr- people from all kindreds, tongues, nations, and tribes who name the name of Christ, who are our brothers and sisters. And if they are being persecuted, we are being persecuted, and we need to be the body in that context. We have to be more globally aware of that, I, I believe. We've got to find a way to keep ourselves knowledgeable and participating, sharing in that kind of context, and all the more so as we see the day approaching. Um, because at this point, we have the ability to do that. If we become the objects of persecution, we may not even be able to help ourselves. We need to be helping uh, when we can. So, this passage then uh, goes on and says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. You have need of endurance. I already talked about that says that he who will come will come and not delay. Now it doesn't mean, you know, we, we take the I come quickly as, well, it's been 2,000 years. He's not saying I'm coming any moment. I know that's how it's preached. That's not true. But when he comes, it's going to be quick. Okay? And you've all done this. When I was a kid, my grandparents would come into town. And when my grandparents came into town, I always knew I was going to an amusement park. Because they were going to take me to an amusement park. You know, my my grandfather would come in and he'd go, uh, Boots, he called me Boots, because I wore little cowboy boots. He'd say, Boots, I saw a carnival driving into town. Really? 
You think we ought to go there? Yeah, I think we ought to go there. You know, And so he'd take me. So I would sit out on the driveway waiting for their... They had an old 1950 Cadillac. And I'd wait for that Cadillac to round the corner. And I'd wait, and I'd wait. And there'd be a car, wrong color, wrong thing, not turning. We're always going, waiting, waiting, waiting. And then I'd see a bird or something else. And I'd be looking away. And the next thing I knew, that car was driving into the driveway, almost hitting me. Okay? It came quickly. But it took a long time for it to come quickly. And that's really how the second coming is. And that's why we're supposed to be alert and watch. Because it's easy. Oh, man. And then it happens. Uh, And those who are not watching for him, he will come as a thief in the night. Because they're not watching. That's what that's talking about. So, I want you to be aware that our struggle of assimilation is matched with the struggle of persecution. Um, And when this happens, when we get uh, judgment, uh, the judgment of believers is certain. So turn to chapter 12 of Hebrews. Verse 15. Verse 15 says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Wow. We all know about coming short of the glory of God. All of sin to come short of the glory of God. Come short of the grace of God. Now there's a sermon. Not one you hear very much. See that no one comes short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble and by it many be defiled. One of the reasons we give testimony and we give testimony of good things and bad things is to understand that God has not abandoned us. That God is with us in all those things. Because as, as many of you know, if you do counseling, a, a root of bitterness grows up in somebody who feels ripped off by God or wronged by God. And then what that does is it begins to pollute and defile a whole group of people who begin to think that way. You know, somebody starts complaining about something pretty soon. Everybody's complaining about that thing. You know, they all see it through, through the complainer's eyes. And so he says, watch out for that. And that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Esau. Now there's a story. He has the birthright. He's the firstborn. And what he's going to do is going to come in hungry. Momentary affliction and he's willing to say to his brother I'll give you the birthright if you'll just give me some of that food because I don't if I if I die what good is the birthright you know if I miss out on things in this world what good is the next That attitude is 
the attitude of Esau. And he says, For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it with tears. You can be sorry. You can be sad. You can cry all you want. That's not repentance. Because repentance is changing your behavior. He never cared about the things of God. And he said, watch out that you begin to not care about the things of God. Now in that same uh, chapter, in verse, uh, the first part of uh, chapter 12, if you look at verse 4, he says, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not disregard or do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? This was written before the American uh, parenting system came out. Um, If you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. I don't know if you had the experience, but when I grew up, uh, if I was in trouble for something, I tried to pass it on that some of my friends were doing the same thing. Well, Steve did it, and Mark did it, and my dad would say, they're not mine. Their dads can deal with them. You're mine, and I'm dealing with you. Okay? That's what God says. So take comfort, pilgrim. (laughs) When you run into sin, and you run into unholiness... And God lets that blow up in your face or He corrects you. Because it's proof that you're His. Because if you can do those things and God never says a peep, God never corrects you, He never addresses it, and you go on your way down sin singing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, you have fallen short of the grace of God. Because the grace of God will correct you. I know this. Because I've been corrected many, many times. And probably will be corrected some more. Because prone to wander, Lord I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love is part of my nature. I have a friend who says that I should be called the pastor of the church of the rebellious heart. I think that's a little harsh. But... But there's some truth to that. So, judgment is part of our proof that we're there. you want your judgment now, your reward later. Because whatever's now is temporary, whatever's later is eternal. The second issue is the issue of suffering persecution. It's going to come from two directions. And we need to be aware of this. Because right now, The the church is focusing in America on governmental persecution. But that's not where persecution usually begins of believers. 
in the pattern of Israel and in the pattern of the church. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. I think I've got the wrong verse. It's uh, verse 20, uh, 21, 10-21, sorry about that. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents, and cause them to be put to death. Persecution is going to come from those who are close to us, before it comes from the government. You will be hated by all because of my name. It is the one who endures to the end who will be saved. Whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Now there's context to this. But let me give you the issue. When persecution rises up, you don't go American on it. American is... You're going to persecute me? I'm going to fight back. Jesus says, when they persecute you in this city, go somewhere else. Okay? You will not have exhausted the places to go before I come. But your battle is not to fight the battle of, against the persecution, but to get out from it. That's an interesting no, it's going to be very difficult for the American church. And I believe that uh, much of this persecution is going to come from the inside. I want you to look at uh, um, uh, Matthew 24, verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened. These things must take place. That's not the end. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. Various places there will be famines and earthquakes. All these are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time many will fall away. There's that assimilation. And will betray one another and hate one another. And false prophets will rise up, telling people what they want to hear, so they think they're following God, but they're really not. And all of that's going to happen before the sun turns to darkness, the moon turns to light, this so-called blood moon stuff. Okay? And we're not there. Not going to happen this year. Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, the antidote to assimilation and persecution is community. If you love your brother, you're not going to betray him to death. But it's got to be more than I love you in the Lord. We have to get to know each other. 
We have to be in each other's lives. We have to reinforce the community that we've developed. It's very easy for us to begin to, and when we started the Disciples Center, we got really good at that developing community. And then what happens is we all get busy. And we're still there when there's a crisis. We're there for each other in a crisis. But we need to be interacting with each other regularly so that there's no noise in the system and that we have a sense of belonging to one another. And then we have to extend that beyond the Disciple Center to believers that we know beyond that so that I know that Matt's not going to betray me and Matt knows I'm not going to betray him because we're brothers. And you'll have to get through me to get to him. And he'll say, you have to get through me to get to him. Otherwise, we'll all go, well, you know, we never really liked him. You know. And you'll be the, the scapegoat in that thing. And believe me, there are a lot of people who, whose love is about that thick. And when there's difficulty, persecution, or you disappoint them, They'll turn on you like that. We have to reinforce and rebuild our community. So, what is that commandment? That's found in John chapter 13. Verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. How deep is our love to be for one another? It's supposed to match the love that Jesus has for his disciples. Wow. That's community. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You know, we can't divide these believers up. They won't turn on each other. They won't betray each other. It's hard to get to them. Because they love one another. They're willing to die rather than tell us where the others are. Now, one of our problems is we're willing to die for each other. You know, it's, I say this about husbands. You know, we're notorious. Our thought of love for our wife... I'll swim the widest ocean. I'll climb the highest mountain. I'll conquer an army. I'll kill somebody to prove I love you. Take out the trash. Too small. You know. But it's those little things that really demonstrate the issue of love. But they're the hardest to learn to do and to become habitual about. And that's what we need to do with each other. So I want you to hear the one apostle who outlived all the others, John, in 1 John, chapter 3. And I'm going to try not to comment, just let him say it. Uh, Not always capable of doing that, but I'll try. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us. Because it did not know him. Beloved. Now we are children of God. 
and has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness or violation of Torah. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one abides in him sins. And no one who sins has seen him or knows him. He's talking about this deliberate, habitual, willing pattern. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil is sin from the beginning. And the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the work of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. And if he starts to sin, the Father will correct him. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil become obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. This is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and killed his brother. And for that reason, what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Boy, when you start following God and the other one isn't, and then you say, I'm following God, they want to kill you. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death unto life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love this way, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? See the big and the little? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before Him in whatever our heart condemns us. And many of us know the condemnation of our heart. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. This is the commandment, that we trust in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him. And we know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Fantastic words. And something I think we need to be reminded of. As the world pulls us in all kinds of directions. Tempting us to go one way. And to say I'll get back to God later. 
and then persecution and says, well, I don't, I don't know that I want that and I'm having to put up with these idiot things that my fellow believers are saying that I'm going to catch trouble for, but they're still my brother. Sometimes your kids say really stupid things in public and you go, oh, but you don't say you're not my kid. Sometimes we have to acknowledge stupid things were said, but, but also acknowledge that they're our, pers- they're our brother. That's part of loving one another. So what does this mean to you and me? You and I are living in a culture that is rapidly changing from Christian-friendly to Christian-hostile. Our children and grandchildren are going to see this change beyond anything that you and I can imagine. So we must make the disciple-centered community of faith a reality for them and ourselves and and encourage that model of faith for others beyond our congregation. And we must make this a priority because we only have a short time. A lot of these children are going to be adults that quick. They are growing up like crazy when you see them. Uh, So... We must catechize and fully develop the disciple-centered children as a priority in the home and in our congregational life. We have to talk about this. And that means that we need to be in each other's homes. And we need to be in each other's hearts. And we need to be in each other's lives. And we need to make sure our children learn to do this as well. When we first started doing this in this congregation, I will never forget... uh, Little Sophie asking her father if they were if they were if we are all going to lunch with our whole family. Something to that effect. She was getting it. That it wasn't just her family going and some other family, but that everybody belonged to each other. And that's got to be the mindset. Because we are going to need each other in the dark times and in the difficult times. Uh, and we will not be able to create those bonds of relationship when the trouble hits. We have to build it before that happens. So, I'm hoping that we'll begin to find a way to cut time out for each other. I have, I have struggled with this as I've said for about three years, um, I have been trying to figure out a way to get people into our home. Uh, not not the big everybody come over because that's almost that's almost it's not useless, but it doesn't do what I'm talking about. You don't you don't get the same thing. But this family with this family, I hope that you're taking the the eating time not to see how many people you can get together. But to get with people and not always the same people and interact and know what's going on in their life. So that when there are difficulties and there are problems, we're there for each other and we have an open invitation because we know that we can trust each other and we know that we belong to each other. Um, we're, we're, we've reached a point now where we have to reinforce that in this community and we have to make sure that's inculcated into the children so that they will do the same thing. 
uh, because the future is uncertain. Let's pray.